welcome everyone. We're here recording a video or podcast, depending on how you end up consuming this uh, media. And I'm here today with Belinda Baby, who is an amazing educator, facilitator, been a client of this work, been a teacher of this work. And I just really enjoy conversing with her. And I think she can bring some really good insight to the nature of this work. And we plan to do a few of these video and podcasts and we plan to shoot them live to Facebook because why not? Okay, um, we're gonna kick off today with a certain subject about how we think, what we believe and how that impacts business results. So the first thing that I wanna share is a client story, someone that I work with probably a couple of weeks ago. Um, this particular gentleman, I'll profile him up first of all. So you get a sense of his personality, maybe some of his beliefs and the way he operates as a business owner. Uh, really like this particular person, really uh, onto it, kind, compassionate person, uh, very strong moral values, uh, young family and head built a business through a lot of hard work and the business that he built more importantly the characteristics that he brought to this business were a high attention to detail he had a perfectionist trait he had a very controlling uh, part to his personality so he's got the perfectionist trait and a controlling part of his personality. The controlling part uh, had aspects of mistrust to it. So this controlling part of his personality would have thought things like, I better keep an eye on that, I better watch this, I better double check that, and I better double check someone else's work. Um, so this controlling part had a, a very strong sort of micromanagement tendency. Um, he so you've got the perfectionist, the controller, and he also had a very committed part to him, a committed, persevering part that wouldn't give in. That was really clear that these were his financial goals and, and he would work six days a week, all sorts of hours with that perfectionist controlling part building this business. So Belinda, I'm sure you're sort of starting to get a sense of the type of character this business owner was. Now, when he came to us, he was having problems taking his business to the next level. And so the level he was sort of at was a, as a, a, a business owner that worked on the tools a lot. He ran a building company. And he, as a result of that real perfectionist control and part of him, it meant that he was actually involved in every area of his business. And because he was involved in every area of his business, because of that perfectionist and, and micromanic controller part, his business was perfect, <laughs> right? When he was involved with it. Mm -hmm. And he'd made, you know, I won't go into figures, uh, but let's say he'd made some pretty decent money from doing that. Um, so we'll start with this because when he built a business that he couldn't step away from, because the next level of business is a business that he could step away from and it would make money without him being there. 
To me, that's always the second stage of business. First stage is that you're building your business so that you've got good quality cash flow, you've got systems in place. You know, you're, you're really actively involved in driving that business through to a point where the cash flow is in place so that you now can take it to the next level, keep cash flow going, but start to take yourself out of that business. And those traits, this is probably I'll set this up with, but into those traits of micromanaging perfectionist, I can do it better than other people, and other, add another trait in here, we had what we call an I can trait. The I can trait is a, a trait that many trailblazing business owners have, and trailblazing business owners, by the way, fit within our profiling system, go to businessdnaindicator.com if you want to know what profile you are. But that real uh, controlling, micromanaging, trailblazer trait meant that he could build a perfect business. He could build a business that didn't let people down, that could do things well. Okay, but the next stage of the business required him to step away from being involved in every area of his business. And the traits that have helped him be successful would actually undermine him from achieving success in the next level of business. Makes sense to you, Belinda? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. Sorry about that. There were, I'm, I'm in a hotel at the moment and um, they were trying to get in. I just have to run away for a second. But yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, I've got, you know, some things, some thoughts and things to share. Do you want me to... Yeah, go for it. Always like um, to inside. <laughs> well, you know, it's, I'm sitting here listening and thinking, well, how deep do you want me to go? Sometimes I can jump straight in there. So pull me back if you, if, if you want me to. Um, no, but yeah, you know, look, I'm listening to this. To, to the profile of this person, I obviously don't know who they are, but I have uh, met and worked with similar profile people. And um, just listening to your story in particular, I'm really getting a sense that this guy, there's, there's two things that this guy, um, you know, ways that he's blocking basically his, his, um, his progression. And, you know, it's hard when you talk about blocks because there's, there's multi-levels to it. There's the internal block that's occurring that, you know, has come from wherever it's come from, but it's set up part of his personality structure. And, and that part of his personality structure has, has served him to some point. So, you know, we talk about um, needing to be in control and, you know, uh, evidently not trusting. Oh, yeah, not, not trusting, yeah, is going to be the root cause of it, absolutely. Yeah, and that, you know, the, the, the thing that always gets me um, and that I always feel a lot for people when we start to dig in is when we see this part of ourselves, and when this fellow sees this part of himself, which inevitably he, he will, working with you, if he hasn't done so already, the first thing can be to go, oh, shit, that part of me sucks, or, you know, really kind of get down on that part of ourselves. But the, the point is that it, we, we need to recognise that all parts of ourselves have been created by our unconscious to serve a particular purpose. And al almost always, these parts are created for a benevolent purpose, and they actually serve that purpose really well. But because we're supposed to be, our psyche is supposed to be a self-organising principle. And what that means is that when we're in a, you know, in a healthy environment, and a safe environment left to our own devices, our psyche is always going to come back to that homeostasis. So what, what's supposed to happen is 
know, we develop these traits and these these parts of ourselves that serve a purpose and then once that is no longer necessary or no longer helping it's supposed to kind of go away and then we create another part to serve the new purpose but what happens so often well in in our society unfortunately we're not often living in a healthy safe environment that allows our psyche to keep coming back to homeostasis and you know one of the things um, one of the things, one of the ways to be able to help that is to start creating a, a healthy and safe environment. And we do that by doing things such as working with someone like yourself, um, setting yourself up to be surrounded by people who can help you to feel safe, to be able to unravel. Um, and, you know, there's, there's lots of other tools. Some of the tools that, that you teach in Ignite, the, um, the self-awareness programs and all that kind of thing is really important. Um, there is another aspect to this, a, a bigger aspect, that's kind of on the microcosm and on the macrocosm is another aspect, but I just want to, um, before going into that, just kind of throw it back to you, Perry, and see. Yeah, no, I guess good, and, and good stuff there because it is, it is functional. Like, it's, as I say, his behavioral patterns and traits so far have been functional because it's allowed him to, to have absolute control over every area of his business. And... And as a result of that, and being such a hard worker and being such a perfectionist, he built this business and he's sitting back now going, look what I've done. That's amazing what I've done. And so those traits have served him in doing that. And, but this is the thing, and I'll just come back to what you said. He couldn't go to the next level with actually out dropping the traits that have helped him achieve that success. And secondly, coming back to what you said, he would have even seen that the traits that had allowed him to achieve that success thus far would actually stop him achieving the success at the next level of business, which is yeah. getting the business to run without him. He, he wouldn't have seen that unless he worked with someone like us. Mm. I mean, that's our job and our role, to help people see what they can't see about themselves but it's holding it back. And then coming back to your point before, the central issue will be mis- trust and mistrust again when he was being functional mistrust meant he did everything controlled everything but if you try to do that the next stage you'll burn out yeah um you won't have efficiency operational efficiency but operational efficiency happen when the right person is looking after the books right the right person is looking after the marketing and when we talk about the right person someone's designed to be really good looking after the books or someone that's designed very look, look, looking after the marketing now he saw he was still doing the books think about that a business oh. doing the books my god anyway <laughs> I, 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 and by the way i can't i must say that he comes from working class stock and as a result of coming from working class stock the entire conditioning of the working class stock is you know work hard do it yourself and yeah. screw it inside of money which, which helped him as I said, reach that early success, but it's just going to stop them going to that next level. So it, it is that mistrust yeah. element that holds that controller perfectionist in place. Mm. So yeah, flick it back to you because you wanted to go a little bit bigger with that, honey. Yeah, well, even before going to that, I just want to talk to just to give a bit more like. Um, for people who are listening, you know, to generalize it a little bit more, because inevitably, if you're listening to this, you're going to be hearing things and going, oh, you know, relating to it. It might be a little bit different to this 
story, but you know, we're all going to be able to relate to, oh yeah, there's a part of me that I can see now that might be holding you back. But just to give a bit, um, a bit of um, value to the, to how, how we can start to, if not move forward, but at least start to feel comfortable about moving forward is that if we think of these parts of ourselves, like, um, you know, if we think of them like children, you know, that like they're, they're our little children, because there needs to be a sense of uh, of valuing and compassion about these parts of ourselves. And I, not, I don't just say that because I'm nice. I say that because that's what what gets a response. You know, if you look at children and you and you tell them they're doing the wrong thing and you yell at them, they're they're going to get angry. They're going to feel shy. They're going to feel um, embarrassed, and then they're going to act out. And it's the same with these parts of ourselves. So if you are recognizing a part of yourself that's no longer serving you, it's so important not to try and cut it off get rid of it make it go away get angry with it it's really important to first of all appreciate it recognize it for the good that it's done and then you can actually start to get these parts on board to grow into something else so sometimes they're ready to just move on and another part will grow but sometimes if you're quite attached to it sometimes that can be because that part needs to just upgrade its its level of intention or upgrade its its behavior to serve a higher level of intention. So it's just, I think it's really important, Perry, for us to, like, for people to know that so that then they don't feel like they're always having to just, like, get rid of this part of themselves and start to live this kind of um, life where they feel like they're constantly cutting parts off that some parts can actually grow to serve a higher purpose. Well, well, Belinda, I mean, you're already taking that into, into uh, important territory. Um, talking to that, you know, you and I have done a lot of deep inner work from the reasons that we teach what we teach. Um, many, many years of, of doing very deep and profound inner work, not shallow work at all, deep introspection of the parts of our personality. And, you know, so you communicate that so freely and easily. And that's because you've already reached a state of consciousness that most people don't. And I just want to flesh into that a little bit. So as an example, when a client first comes to us, they come with all sorts of resistance because they know that we can see all the different parts that make up the personality and the parts that, as you quite rightly pointed out before, have probably served them in life to a point, but now are no longer supporting them to go to the next level and whatever they're trying to go to. And the first thing that we experience from the client is the resistance to seeing the things that are holding them back because for most people on this planet, they don't want to own or see anything that they judge, that they consider yeah. to be vulnerable because the human psyche is set up until you reach a certain stage of consciousness. And even when you reach a certain stage of consciousness, you're always going to be aware of this. The psyche is set up to show the world what we perceive will get it accepted or get us accepted. And this is mostly unconscious, meaning we're sort of walking around basically set up to please other people. Um, and if it's not pleasing other people, there's another game going on that is we're pleasing ourselves with our view our preferred view of self and and so you know when you first start this work you tend to be looking at the things that have been non-serving and then non-serving you're always and meeting those parts you typically to see 
and meet your inner critic, your inner pain, a punisher, your inner shame at what you're seeing. Where to change, it, it, it takes the ability to observe and own the parts that are holding you back. Um, and then you'll hear what Belinda says. She said, make friends with those parts. Well, again, that's easy for Belinda. It's easy for me because we've done many years of work. What most people will do, as soon as they see those parts they don't like, you've got to remember, they've spent their entire lives trying to not see those parts so they can show the world their preferred version of self or show themselves their preferred, preferred version of self. Um, and so it's hard for them. They find it hard to make friends with those parts of the site because they just judge it and, you know, it, it means I'm not perfect. It doesn't mean that I don't fit this view that I've had of myself. So typically we've got to take clients through that process. And that's the unsafe environment. You know, that, that internal judgment or external judgment, that is the unsafe environment that disallows the psyche to actually come back to balance in, on its own. Yeah, no, really good point. And Belinda... I, I don't fully understand this yet. Um, geez, I'm feeling everything in this show today, but it's like this. I'm, I'm, I have been observing that low self-worth and shame run at epidemic proportions in humans, all humans. And that, that low self-worth and shame is so strong. This is the we people that are watching this think, well, I don't have low self worth and don't have shame. Um, but but well, we do because they do, <laughs> and they'll be playing games as a result that they don't even see. You can understand people we're mostly unconscious, and uh, I'll be sharing some data that you know, like the brain science data this day, these days is just amazing. We're basically unconscious. We think we make conscious decisions, but we don't. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but the the, this shame and low self-worth and this, this negative viewpoint that most people carry around about themselves is incredibly debilitating. And I'm really investigating that at the moment from just at the admissions from my level of expertise. And I really want to dig into that because I think it operates so unconsciously and I think it's so insidious that most people don't see it and don't understand how much it's impacting the results that they get in life. Um, yeah, well, I mean, how, how many people, I mean, and, and I'm asking you this, you this, Perry, you know, how many people or what can you think of people that you know who don't, who operate without shame and slow self-worth? And just imagine, you know, what it means to be like that. That's it's it's so outside of, of our human race. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, and it's funny you're saying that because this is what's gone in me there. I'm looking at clients and I'm looking at everything and I'm seeing uh, just how, you know, what would it be truly like to truly, truly, truly reach a sense of self-love um, and total self-acceptance, which means that that low self-worth and shame has completely dropped away. When we talk about low self-worth and shame dropping away people, it's really important to say what we, we consider that the chronic stuff dropping away, the sense of self that there's something wrong with you, that you're not good enough or that you've been beating yourself up for. 
a thing. So these are get carried as residual within human consciousness. And I see that with 100% of the clients that I work with. And, and, and just let me finish that off for a second, Belinda, because the shame will never be gotten rid of because we don't want to get rid of shame because shame has a functional use in human consciousness, which is, if I've just, as an example, yelled at my one of my sons it's good to have shame to go hey that's not the best way to be a parent so shame is got this functional use but it's this sort of epidemic sense of low self-worth that i believe runs all human beings and i believe gets utilized by marketers and people in power which we may talk about a little bit later <laughs> yeah you want to say to that <laughs> oh so. god okay how how deep do you, do you want me to go okay? well you know what we need to do before we move anywhere right if you want to talk, because we need to come back and just finish off maybe some that, that example I started with, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. level one going to business two, what are yeah. the belief systems that keep them there? What are the belief systems he probably needs to go to that next level? Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to finish off with the self-heart yeah. shame thing. Yeah, look, we'll go back to that we were talking about before, because there was a whole um, something that I wanted to bring up about this particular client or this particular case, and that is... Um, uh, ecology so you know when we look at trust and, and when we look when we have someone who's uh, if even if it's ourselves or if it's somebody else who's controlling everything um, and they're good at it especially in this case he was good at it so he's not just controlling just from fear he's actually controlling from being good at doing things but um, this is kind of um, I see this in people often as a reflection Again, so this is the macrocosm. So looking at this as a reflection of our state of, of, um, of culture and our state of being the way that we live. So we, if you look at the way that we live our lives, we're also very um, independent. We have to do everything ourselves and that's just the way it is. And so why isn't that going to be the same in our business or anything else? But if you look at any system that actually works not just survives, but actually works and thrives, then every single aspect to that system has to be a, a um, autonomous, autonomous being that's also working in conjunction with everything else. And the best um, example of this for me that I love is the human body. So, you know, if we look at a liver cell, a liver cell is really good at processing toxins. It's so wonderful at doing that. Now, if my heart cell, which is really good at pumping blood, starts to decide that it needs to tell the liver cell how to do its job, not only is my heart going to become exhausted and not, it's going to eventually not be able to do its own job very well because it's so exhausted trying to do everything else, but it can't do the, it can't do the liver's job as well. And we actually do see this in people in our bodies when they become unwell um, you know we have an overdeveloped one part of ourselves that's trying to control every other part of ourselves and I just find it a really interesting reflection and analogy if you can spread that into your business and say okay I I need to have you know different people in different roles that are that are really good at what they're doing and I need to be able to to let them do their job so that when they're all working together they're going to harmonize and create a, a you know like a super being or a, a, a super a super business now if I you know we need to recognize what part we're playing and maybe it's you know um, what part you're playing in the business what part you're playing in your life and make sure that you're you're allowing each of these individual cells of your business to be really good at what they do. And yes, that means making sure that you get the right people in the right position, but that's where that 
that trust comes in. And so our, our um, issue with trust, usually as human beings, comes from something individual. We've usually had an experience with a person, often it's our um, primary caregiver when we're growing up, or, or so, it's usually when we're younger and we have an issue with a, a person that creates um, distrust. And it's often for a really good reason. Um, but when we, when we're older and we're more in control of our lives and if we're looking at a business, we need to recognize that it's not just the individual person that we need to trust. What we need to find trust in is that ecology. We need to find trust because this one person over here might be pretty good at their job. They may, may not be the most amazing person at that job left on their own, but that person in connection with this person, when we bring them all together, there's a particular type of ecology that we have to create and we need to be able to trust that. When we look at trusting the ecology, that's when we're going out to that macrocosm and looking at, okay, we might not be able to trust human people all of the time because humans have, you know, um, have traits, but there is something that we are that we need to learn to be able to trust, which is greater than the individual, and it's that kind of that's that ecology. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, sort of came up for me when you were explaining that, you know, you were thinking of the human body, and before you mentioned the human body, like as you were communicating, all I had in front of me as a vision was a beehive. And, and yeah. a similar thing. So you've got a beehive. Everyone's got their different roles. Um, but be, because you've got the, the worker bees, because they're really good at that, you've got the quick, you've got all the different roles. And to me, coming similar to your body metaphor, that's what sort of struck me is, as uh, a really good metaphor for what we're talking about, where all these, the right people or the right bees are <laughs> in the right place. For, for the right role mm. and you're right and and what let's let's quickly just come back to him for a moment and you can see he spent his whole life going i'll just map this out for a second like i can't trust anyone and not only that i'm really good at things i i can actually be really good at everything i do right which is a big trap by the way for business owners because so think about those two things together well i can't trust anyone the only person i can trust is me and I can do things better than other people anyway. That's part of his thinking. And I'm real good at things. You can see where that sets him up for trouble because bringing back to the beehive metaphor, he's trying to do everything within the beehive or the body. He's trying to be the heart. He's trying to be the liver. So to shift, you can see that he's got to start thinking things like, or believing, uh, uh, I can trust. Now, we don't have time and place to go into this, but that's a big subject and we'll, we'll talk about this sometime, but you have to develop trust mechanisms, one. Secondly, you're gonna to have to develop really good recruitment systems. Look at this, we're going from real archetypal languaging right down now into logic business. You've got to have recruitment systems in place. You've got to know how to advertise for the right people to repel comfort seekers. Actually, I'm teaching this in my business session today. Um, but they're all the practical things you need to be doing but he needs to see that he has to learn to trust. He's gonna to have to deal with his trust issues. Then he's gonna to have to learn on letting go and seeing that the right people are actually better than him. Now this is gonna take him some work, right? Because he's got really, really strong patterns. Yeah. Um, and he's gonna to have to go through a whole process of letting roles go in his business. Now coming back to something else you said before about who goes where, um, your liver cell, as you said, is designed to, to filter toxins out of the liver and, and your heart cells are designed to do a certain thing. 
Or as an example, Georgina that works with us, she is designed right down to her DNA to be really accurate and really good with details. And so as an example, in our business, we can give her roles that capitalize on her natural, her natural gifts. So it, it's about understanding people more, understanding what their strengths and gifts are, and psychometric profiling can do this for you easy enough. And you match the right person to the role. And so you as a business owner can now go and concentrate on what you're actually gifted at and what you're strong at, uh, which typically puts you in your highest dollar productive zone. So when we think about business in that way and we've got everybody doing what they're naturally designed for, which means they're happy doing it, they're good at it, it gives them energy, then they tend to be in their highest dollar productive zone. That's the zone that makes the most money for the businesses where the most operational efficiency is. Um, so those are things to think about people. Now, anything else you want to bring? So we've, look at that, we've gone from really into personal well, patterns, to archetypal patterns and strong patterns. <laughs> uh, oh my God, I'm just going, how, how long do we have? Um, well, look, to be honest, I mean, I I know you said we'll come back to trust another time, but I mean, this is what we're talking about, you know, like it's, I'd like to... All right, go on, go on, go on. Even what you're talking about before about, um, you know, started to talk about self, low self-esteem and shame. I mean, trust in all of my years of doing what I do, I'm just sitting here thinking how much of it actually comes back to trust and not just trust. Well, so we'll bring it back to, to this client or the, the case that you're talking about, okay, so what we need to do is get the right worker being in the right position. So you need to make sure that you've got the right person doing the right job. And that's great. But how do we know? How do we know that we've got the right person? Who, who tells us? It's written down and we can match all the profiles, but in, eventually it needs to come back to trusting our own choices, right? So we need to come back to trusting ourselves. And when we talk about trust, you know, um, when we look at trust, trusting other people to do the job. So first we need to be able to trust ourselves. Yeah, by the way, Belinda, that's exactly, Georgina says that. Georgina says that every trust issue is, is a trust, a mistrust itself. Yeah. And, and yeah. exactly what you're saying, meaning yeah. it's not that you're not trusting that person, you're not trusting yourself to choose the right, right person or you're not trusting yourself to know enough to do that thing. Sorry. And that really big thing to come back to especially for a personality type like this person that you're speaking about because if i if i'm getting the person right you know this is a very confident person who believes in themselves on, on you know on many levels and presents that way in the world so to come down to to break it all down to say oh, actually i've got trust issues with myself would just be such a a massive thing to be able to have to look at oh yeah to even get him to that point like he sees that but not fully you know what i mean by that client see them, yeah. but that, you, that you, you've got to get them deep enough where they suddenly really see that. So let's get into trust because I want to say something about this because I believe trust is, is learned. Okay, so I'll just say what I think, first of all. I think that, mm. you, first of all, I've got to learn that I don't trust. Okay, so I've got to see where I don't trust. Once I'm aware of where I don't trust, I can see the damage that that might be doing because if I don't trust there'll be surface behaviours, um, that uh, will be unsupportive of creating good relationships, as an example. So I'm now, I've got to start to, to see where I don't trust. Um, and let's just bring it back to building a team. So if I see where I'm not trusting, 
of myself and others. Mm. Therefore, I now recognise the problem and then I'm going to make the decision, well, I'm going to have to bring someone else on and the moment I make that decision, I'm going to feel all the emotions associated with all nervousness. But I'm now more aware, so I'm now, ah, oh, this is my mistrust has been triggered. Mm-hmm. But before, before being, help, being helped to see that, a person would just feel uncomfortable emotions or they'd be making decisions and not knowing why they made those decisions because their fear on the unconscious level would have been controlling the decision-making process. So to see that I'm mistrusting and then, okay, well, I know I'm mistrusting. I see the problems as this cause. I'm now going to start recruiting someone to start to move towards recruiting. And at Is this that point, even mistrust there? Sorry, just to clarify. Yeah. So you've got, even though you, they're seeing the mistrust, they can look at it and move towards the recruitment anyway because they're not buying into it. Is that, is that what you're saying? Correct. That's the first thing. Yeah, they're not buying into it. And, and because let's just take, we'll take, imagine we did no mind tools, no meditation tools or anything like that to reprogram the mind. Let's just say you're just working functionally um, yeah. in the outer world. So the person would see it, observe it. They're now going, okay, to build a business, I have to bring on uh, someone to look after this area of the business. Right throughout the recruitment process, that person's going to meet their mistrust because I've made it in feelings and, and if they've been coached by you and I, we're going to deepen their awareness into that so it doesn't blindside them. They're going to have to learn practical things on how to recruit a person because there's, th- there's practical things you can do to recruit people that minimise the chance of getting the wrong person. So there are functional things you can do that support getting the right person which will help you overcome trust issues. And so... You know, I might have employed that person and it's not going to be for three months, two months maybe, if I've got heavy duty mistrust issues, that I'm going to get to the point where I trust. But that very process of being very aware of my mistrust, seeing every game that my mistrust plays or every way my mistrust tries to orientate or orientate my psyche, um, while moving towards recruiting, getting the right recruiting systems in place and then having that person on my team, after two or three months, I'm gonna go, well, this person's working out. And that already is just overwriting my uh, previous trust issues and challenges. So that's a really supportive way of, 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 of moving. Of course, if you're working with us, we're gonna give you reprogramming tools as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, does that make sense? That's, that's, the, that's the, the way you would move in the outer world. Yeah, one. I mean, wonderful. Learn, learn, uh, that is a reprogramming in itself, isn't it? You're writing a new program, one of trust, that you know, an experience of trust. And I think too, moving forward, you know, with these these things within ourselves, as when we're adults, trust especially, you know, trust is something that when you're a child, it's a hard one because if you're not in a safe environment, you don't have control over your your environment as much as we do now. But like you say, as an adult, you can make choices based on. Um, based on information and logical information, like going through a, a very specific recruiting process where you, that, you know, you're making sure that you dot all your I's and cross all your T's. And this is, this is going to set it up, you know, the best possible way to have a trust, a trustful experience that you can generalize in your own psyche. Correct. Because guess, guess what pattern I've seen? You, you'll really get this because you understand I can have a pattern so well. It's a person who has trust issues that doesn't take the time to learn a, uh, to, to, to learn to use a really good recruitment system and they therefore end up employing people they can't trust because <laughs> the I can't trust unconscious program ensures they select someone they can't trust. Yeah. Right? So, so the structure of a good recruitment system 
takes out your unconscious belief system's ability to pull that person to you and select the wrong person to keep that belief system in place. Now, Belinda, I want to go sideways here. Let's go sideways. I want to rock and roll. You ready for it? You oh. had like four cups of coffee. Can you keep up? <laughs> I don't know, Perry. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know either. I've been had Seeing as I had no idea what we were even going to be talking about today until we started talking, I think I think we'll be okay. Go on. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I think what we're going to do is dig a bit deeper into that trusting over the next few weeks, especially if people like this, just chuck some comments up on Facebook if you want us to sort of come back and address the trusting, and we will a bit deeper. So I've got a subject that I really want to talk about, and we'll probably continue next week because I have to go and get ready for a business program I run. And look at me. <laughs> you look great. I look terrible. Anyway. Uh, I got told off this morning by my wife, you can't go live like that. You need to clean up. Well, I've run out of time now. We had just technical difficulties, so I couldn't get to shave and clean up. Um, this is... Um, this, the, 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 I'm going to call this topic reclaiming your mind from the powers that control it. Okay, so here's a theory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you. Now, okay, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to just dig into it. That's right. Just touch base with it because what I'm probably going to do over the next, you know, few podcasts is we've come back to the subject, and I'm going to be sharing some brain facts. For those of you who don't know, I love science. Uh, sort of the metaphysical and science are really coming together now. There's some very, really great evidence-based research being done on the powers of the brain, mind, human consciousness. So, yeah, uh, especially in relationship to reclaiming your mind from the powers that control it. So we'll just start off with a, a central uh, sort of statement in some way. You know, from the moment you were born, your free will has been stolen from you, meaning from the moment you've been born, you've been conditioned by exterior forces, those exterior forces started with your parents. They've led on to the church. They've led on to uh, your social groups, the people that you're around. Um, you, you go to school. Basically, everything you think and believe you've inherited from uh, people that had more power than you. So you and I know that we're conditioned creatures. Now, conditioned can come from, and the science behind this as well now, like I've known for years working with people that we see lineage beliefs passed down. So something that happened to your grandparents, your great-grandparents now shows up in your consciousness as a fear, as a concern, and science also backs that viewpoint now. So anything you want to say to that? Can you see that we are conditioned from birth? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Okay, now... I'm going to work through a few statements and then I'm going to disappear. You know, like it's one of those horrible things where the thing starts <laughs> and then it stops and you want more. <laughs> You're leaning in for the kiss and your partner suddenly gets sort of taken by something on TV. Well, you, you did start this whole thing by leaning and saying, the powers that control your mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm one of the people that I'm about to talk about. Right? Ah. So, you can see this. so here we go. For more than a century, a silent battle has been raging for the territory of your mind. The weapons are so perverted that the masses remain unaware of their use. Right? Okay, there's four set up points to this discussion. The war for the territory of your mind is big business for business, religion, politics, anyone that's got an ideal. 
and billions upon billions of dollars are spent on it by people in power and authority. Think about that. You think that you are choosing what to think. You go on Facebook and Google every day and you type in things and then Google and Facebook just send things that agree with your belief systems, which further entrenches them. Say so with that, four setup points. Mm. So that was the first one. The war for the territory of your mind has been business for business, religion, politics, ideals, billions are spent on it. If you're in power, why wouldn't you influence, influence people to think like you want them to think? The next one is parts of the prefrontal and anterior jiglet cortices, which play key roles in vigilance and skepticism in the brain when judging the truth and importance of what people say, are deactivated in the presence of an authority figure. Okay, so think about that. And from a biological perspective, that makes sense because as a baby, if I look at you, get that, I, you know, I, I don't want those areas of my brain kicking me in. Oh, I can't trust my parents. Exactly. And I'm sure I really need to critique what they say because on an archetypal level, when you're born people, on the archetypal level, your mother is a goddess. Your father is a god, unquestionable. Okay. So those areas of the brain are taken out. So think about that. In the presence of authority figures, mm. and I'll go back to the first point, authority figures, the territory of your mind is big business. It makes their money. They want to sway how you think. And in the presence of authority figures, parts of your brain turn off that get you to think critically about the information that's being shared with you. So think about fake news. Third point. The careful use of language, colour, tones, etc., have all been scientifically proven to influence your thought patterns and buying decisions and the way you think. Case in point, if you walk into a shop and you're looking at a piece of clothing and you're humming and harring about buying it, you like it, and the, the, um, the, the, the person in the shop, the shop assistant hands you a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or a hot chocolate and it's warm, the very act of you holding that cup will increase the likelihood of buying that product because on an unconscious level, it's seen an act of care and compassion when someone hands you something that's warm, it has a certain impacts on the brain, which predispose you to buying. And then the final point is researchers, researchers using FRNI watch the brain in real time and with unerring accuracy can determine what we will decide many seconds before we think we've decided. So basically, you don't have free will in your decision-making processes. And if that really upsets you, too bad. <laughs> go, and, go and search neuroscience and free will um, and watch the science. Marcus Dysatoy. And I actually put a link below this um, so people can go and see the research. Now, that doesn't bother me because I know that all my choices are typically unconscious. And that's why we do this work, Belinda. This doesn't frighten me at all because my whole life is going in and investigating what my unconscious belief systems are and reprogramming my belief system. So my unconscious can do choosing for me. And as long as the belief systems in my unconscious have been re reprogrammed to serve me, then I'm gonna be making effective choices. Now, I'll just come back to that last statement. So I'll bring it back down to layman's language. You think you're making a choice, 
but scanning will show that your the unconscious regions of your brain make that choice seven to two seconds before it hits the conscious areas of your brain and you think you made it. Now, this is a bit of a recipe for disaster when you look at those four points. We have people in power who have the know-how to control how we think to serve their agendas, whether that's religious, political, or to get you to buy more of their products. We have a brain that can be fooled through those techniques into dropping its safeguards and taking on the belief structures that we are being signed with, or we will end up buying things that we don't need and we don't want that just keep the whole machine going. Mm -hmm. um, and finally, we make choices on the unconscious level, not the conscious level. And these techniques that get used program us on the unconscious level without us being consciously aware of it. Now, do I sound like a conspiracy theorist right at this point in time? A little bit, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah, so good. <laughs> I'm not Byron, you know what I'm thinking? I'm waiting for you to offer the blue pill. <laughs> Join me in my next course. <laughs> there is a blue pill, though. There, there is, is you know, pill. I'm listening to all this and I'm thinking about the blue pill. Yeah. Well, first of all, and this is, if anyone's interested in this, and this is not the blue pill, but in our, our brain course, our whole brain course, we talk about these things and we talk about how to access unconscious territory. So, you know, that's really an expensive way of people starting to learn about some of the things that we're talking about with the brain and changing things, transforming things, seeing how you're conditioned. Um, and it's, I think it's like 1080 bucks or something like that. So check it out if you're in this stuff. So I just want to quickly go back to where I might give the audience something that's really good to see. I watched a, a, a documentary probably 10 years ago, which to, to, to this day is still one of my favorite documentaries ever. It's called The Century Itself. It's on, on YouTube by Adam Curtis. And it's all about engineering cons consent. And mm. I'll just quickly give you a view of this and it's probably time I cut out um, after that, after you give me your insight. But sadly, I've got to go. Well, not sadly, I'm looking forward to it, but I need to eat before I run a program. I'm not going to be particularly effective. So this century itself by Adam Curtis, Belinda, was amazing to me because uh, it was started off by a guy called Edwards Bernays, who was Freud's nephew. And so Freud, obviously everyone here should know who Freud is. Freud is one of the early, uh, I don't know if he's a psychologist or psychiatrist, probably psychiatrist with his credentials. Um, but he was sort of one of the first big sort of listened to all around the world because it was William Reich and those people earlier than him that were all about the unconscious and how the unconscious worked. But this uh, Edwards Bernays was his nephew. And so he took all Freud's learnings and he was employed by the government. He set up the first PR uh, business in America. And he used Freud's education about how the unconscious worked to support the government in getting people to toe the line around its policies and ways of thinking. Um, 
and he ended up being involved with setting up many of those first PR companies that started to work for the big corporations using Freud's insights to manipulate people in, into purchasing and buying. So if everybody, if you're interested in this, go watch the documentary. It's absolutely a mind-blowing documentary. Now, then I go to the second stage of this, which really got me. So then the next one was Jung, of course. Now, Jung, to me, he's one of my heroes. He's a deep explorer of the unconscious and unconscious archetypes. Uh, um, and the same thing happened when Freud sort of went out of failure and some of his theories weren't sort of accepted and Jung became the flavor of the month. All these PR companies in America working for the government, the CIA and for the big corporations started to take all these psychological teachings that have been designed to help people become healthy mm -hmm. to be used by the, 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 those in power to manipulate our thinking. And one of the stories that I love with this, Belinda, it's just amazing. You know, the, the, the 70s, which is the sort of start of that real hippie movement where people rejected the values of the 50s. It was about free love, exploring yourself, expressing creativity, pushing against the, 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 the sort of paradigm of the day. The ethos of the day, of course, especially around the feminine, was woman shouldn't be seen and heard. Woman should be sexually repressed and men, men should go off and put on their suit and work, you know, eight hours a day and come home. The good wife would have been cooking at home with a pie. Remember those ads with the woman had the pie meeting them? So, so that was the pushback to it. But you'll get where I'm going with this. So this whole hippie movement was happening. And, you know, I can trace a lot of my viewpoints and beliefs and my leanings to that. And, and Inspire Dynamics, it's the start of what they call screen, the green stage of, of human development. Greater sensitivity to others, uh, a greater sensitivity to self and one's needs, uh, one's emotional makeup. Um, so that stream of, of consciousness or some of those archetypal patterns that have come from the 70s, of course, reflecting many of the things that I've done in my life, the choices I've made in my life. Like as a young person, I went, hey, I'm going to follow my passions. Well, that came out of the 70s, right? Anyway, so getting back to the subject. So again, the powers to be got the leading union psychologists of their time to work within these PR companies. <laughs> and what they did is that they, they could work out the, the, the 70s hippies value structures completely. Mm. So then they started aligning with corporations and they started selling the hippies all these products by manipulating them. So as an example, they would take a, a, a food product and they knew that by packaging in certain colors, the hippies would go, oh, it must be more natural when the product wasn't any more natural. So they started to use these techniques. <laughs> so <laughs> knowing what the hippies' value systems were to sell them stuff, to, 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 to produce whole movements out of the hippie movement that meant corporations made a lot of money off these hippie movements. So, you know, all these hippies were thinking we're free, we're, we're, we're breaking away, but they were just being manipulated outside of their awareness to buy heaps of this stuff or live this way, which would sell more things to corporations. So 
Centric self, people, go watch it. It's not just about how powers to be have used psychological information to manipulate the way we think. It's far grander than that. It's actually very interesting look at human history and how we've developed and changed. So that's sort of where I got interested in this and how they were using these um, uh, ways to manipulate how we think. Anyway, I'm just about up. Let's set this up. You've got something to say for it, and we'll probably rejoin this subject next week. Do you find an interesting subject, by the way, Melinda? You talking to me? Yeah, yeah. Do you find an interesting subject? Oh, I mean, look. Yeah, it's fascinating. The more that the more that people wake up to understand this, the better. Um, it can be a little bit scary, I think, for yeah. people when it first starts opening up. But um, I reckon it's really important, you know, not to go into it, but just to just to share that. Yeah, this is all true and there is a way through it. You know, there is a way to, to come back to empowerment. And the, one of the, the kind of like there's steps and the first step is find powers that, that you align with first <laughs> because we're going to be inundated and we're going to be controlled. So first read books. If you're going to watch TV, watch TV, watch things and read books and put, put into your head things that you align with. And that's going to be, it's still going to be um, programming you, but at least it's going to, you're going to be choosing what you're getting programmed with to a degree. Good and, point. And then beyond that, there is ways to even get beyond that. You know, for me, when you're talking Perry and, and I, and it's so overwhelming and I just, I know for me, you know, for me, the place that I go to rest beyond all of this, because I have to, because I get programmed too, is in my meditation. You know, and they, they, there's places, there's things that we can do to actually step out for that a moment, reboot, and then come back in. But I just think it's really great, um, a great bit of information to, to know that, yep, it's scary and it's full on, but you can choose what you're being programmed with to a degree. Yeah, and, and I love what you just shared because just in closing, like, it's really important. So what you talked about was aligning with people that powers to be that you want to be programmed by that's really really important and you're right because we don't escape program very good point second point when you talked about meditation because that gives you a space away from self and you through meditation you start to sort through your own belief systems um and, and identify and find out what's true for you and just finishing up with that because that is the path if we're programmed um I mean, this gets real dangerous. We'll dig into this further because when we're programmed, we tend to protect the beliefs that we're programmed about. So it's called confirmation bias. Like, um, the, well, well, I suppose what we're wanting to do as individuals, so we haven't dug into that. You're sort of leading towards this. You use the word empowerment. I suppose if, what am I needing to do? I'm needing to find out what's right for me. What, what do I really believe? How, how do I really want to live my life? So those questions get me inspecting my belief systems, the belief systems I've been signed with, because I'm trying to live a more meaningful life, a more purposeful life, a more authentic life, a life that sits well with my soul. Yeah. And so to do that, I've got to thread through all the things I believe. And based on what we've just gone through in this last half of the conversation in this video podcast, it's that's inspecting what I've been programmed with from the authority figures that have programmed me. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go get prepared for oh, eat. my yeah, eat and get ready for my business session. But I hope everyone enjoyed this and we'll see you all next week. Uh, I enjoyed working with you, Belinda. Thought it would go this way. Rock and roll in a conversation. See you. Bye everybody. Yeah.